Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Welcome everyone to this podcast, and I want to greet you in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus the Christ. Today, we're going to be looking into the letter that James wrote. His actual name is Jacob in Hebrew, but most people in Western culture pronounce his name James. And we're going to look at this beautiful letter that was written from a Jewish man to a Jewish audience. And as we go through this letter, you will understand that hopefully more clearly. We are studying this letter first because it was actually the first letter that was written in the New Covenant Scriptures. In the past podcast, we had an introduction, then hermeneutics, and then I did an Old Covenant survey and spent about an hour of going through the intertestamental time through the political background, the literary background, and also the religious background in which the Messiah was born. Now remember, just to look at it a little bit, Yeshua, Jesus, was born around the year 5 BC. I'm not going to go through that again, but his ministry started around 25 AD. That's because Luke says around the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry. His crucifixion probably took place somewhere around 28 A.D. at Passover. We don't know exactly how long Jesus ministered, but some have mistakenly thought that Jesus ministered for three and a half years, but there's not anything within Scripture that actually states that. So if he was crucified and his resurrection took place in the year 28 A.D., at Passover and then during the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the Feast of First Fruits of Harvest, he came out of the grave. That means the book of Acts starts in 28 AD and it goes all the way till about 62, 63 AD. In that time span, we're looking at 30 to 35 years of the expansion of the early church, the followers of Yeshua. 30 to 35 years that we see the works of the Holy Spirit upon the early believers and how this gospel was actually going to the ends of the earth. Within those 35 years, most of the new covenant is being written. The first letter that most conservative scholars believe was written is the letter of Jacob. And we're going to look at it chapter by chapter, almost verse by verse, we're going to go through the whole book of Jacob. Now, this may be split up into several podcasts, but I want you to follow with us, if you would, and look at God's Word and see from a historical background what God is saying through Jacob to the Jewish people. Now, also in the studio today, I have a friend of mine. His name is Johnny. I call him Yoni. That is his Hebrew pronunciation. And he's going to be here with me. He's 20, 25 years younger than me, representing a younger generation. And I've asked him to come in because it's so much better to have him in the studio than just speaking to four walls. Plus, he has things to give to this discussion as we go through this letter. Yoni, would you like to greet everyone? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited, and it's a pleasure to be here. 
Can you tell us something about yourself? Yeah, been a believer for about 18 years, came to the Lord because I got to see the love of God through somebody else, and it showed me that there was so much more to God than I even ever imagined. And it's been a long journey since, great journey with ups and downs, and now in this podcast, in this room with you. Well, I praise God, Yoni, that you're here today, and today we just want to glorify God. We want to bring forth God's Word, and God's Word does not return void, and so that is our heart's desire. So today, Yoni, as I'm going through and teaching this letter, at any time, jump in with a question, a comment, if you want some clarification or anything like that. And sometimes when you are making a comment or a question, somebody might be having that same question as well. And I want to look at this letter. I want to set the historical background. Yoni, could you turn to Acts chapter 8? And sure. let's look at the first four verses. And here in a minute, I'm going to ask if you can read that for us. But let me talk about Jacob. Who is Jacob? Jacob is the half-brother of Jesus, of Yeshua. He was not even depicted as a believer during his ministry time, but he was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus, his brother, his half-brother. He was one of the 120 that was gathered there at Shavuot, in Greek it's called Pentecost, waiting for the promise of the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the believers. He was there with his brothers, with his mother, waiting for that time. Jesus had instructed them, wait in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He was there. So we know he became a believer. We know that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that he was there in the beginning years as they gathered in Jerusalem. And later on in Acts chapter 15, this is what's really interesting. As the persecution is going to start in Acts chapter 8, you're going to read in a few minutes. We see the church is scattered. When I say the church, the followers of Jesus, the gathering, the assembly, the congregation... The word church sometimes is not the best word because we think of a building. But the church is the gathering, the assembly of those who come in the name of Yeshua. The congregation in Jerusalem was scattered. However, the apostles remained for a short time. And later on, as you look into the book of Acts, they're going out. And you see them in different places. But who stays in Jerusalem as the congregation goes underground? They're no longer in the temple. They're no longer out preaching every day as we saw them earlier because of the persecution that has come about. But Jacob, the brother of Jesus, stays in Jerusalem. He becomes known as the elder, the shepherd, the one leading the believers in the city of Jerusalem. Hmm. Peter is out. Andrew is out. Thomas, by A.D. 52 to 56, is in India. preaching the gospel. Think about that. (laughs) But who remains in the city of Jerusalem? It is Jacob, the brother of Jesus. And he has a powerful testimony. Even Josephus talks about Jacob. He talks about John the Baptist. He talks about Jacob, the elder, that had such a great reputation in the city of Jerusalem. And he talks about Jesus as well. And by reputation, reputation among the Christians or among the the Jews? Among the Jewish people. Now, that is a great question. Hmm. Because at this point, 
Now, Josephus writes later, at this point in which this letter is written, possibly the name Christian has not even been used. So these are Jewish people. They're referred to in the book of Acts as people of the way. They're understood as Galileans. If you go to Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, they're referred to as Galileans. Mm. A historical word that is used for them is Nazarenes. Interesting. Because they come, Jesus was from Nazareth. But they're not understood as Christians. So almost like a sect of Judaism. Yes, but from a scriptural standpoint. Now, to the, yeah. to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and to the Essenes and the Herodians and the Zealots, this is a sect. Yeah. But from a scriptural standpoint, they represent true biblical Judaism. Hmm. Being here in the West and in Christianity, we do not think of it in that way. True biblical Judaism is through the circumcision of the heart, through the Messiah, through a new covenant that was promised to the Jewish people, if that makes sense. And fulfilled through a Jewish Savior. Yes, a Jewish Savior, a Jewish Messiah, through the Jewish people, a Jewish gospel being spread by Jewish apostles. And you brought up one of the best questions. The word Christian begins in Acts chapter 11. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Covenant Scriptures. Mm. Now, when I say that to people, they get a little bit confused. They look and say, is that true? Yes, it is true. Twice in the book of Acts and once in Peter's writings. We see in Acts 11, we see at the end of Acts. But let's talk about in Acts 11, where the disciples were first called Christians. But you stay there in Acts 8. Oh, okay, okay. I'll talk about it. <laughs> the word Christian was used because in Acts chapter 11, in Antioch, they began speaking the word and ministering the word to the Greeks. Hmm. The Greeks does not mean Gentiles there. Because in Acts chapter 10, you had the first Gentile come to faith. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 11, you had them speaking to the Greeks. They were probably Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Jews. You don't have the issue of circumcision that comes about after that. Mm -hmm. That's going to come in Acts chapter 13 and 14, where Gentiles start coming to faith. But these were probably Greek-speaking Jews, Hellenistic Jews. Now, even when you go back to the city of Jerusalem, there was a dispute in Jerusalem between the Hellenistic Jews and the non-Hellenistic Jews. That means the Greek-speaking Jews and the non-Greek-speaking Jews. And there was a problem among the widows, if you remember that. Most of the Jews in the diaspora, their number one language would be Greek. Okay. Many of the Jews within the land, the educated Jews, their first language could have been Greek. Up in the north where the disciples lived in the Galilee, the lower Galilee, that was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where all the trade routes uh, came through. So if you were going to be a fisherman and involved in trade and in business, you would have to know basic Greek. Oh, interesting. When they started ministering the gospel to the Greeks in Antioch, people get confused and say, oh, they're ministering to the Gentiles. No, this was probably Jewish, Hellenistic, Jewish, Greek speakers. And they began ministering to them, and they started coming to faith, and the city started mocking them. It was a mocking term. And they started calling them Christians. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That's Acts chapter 11. That's probably as early as 40 to 44 A.D. 
And were they called Christians, or was it like a, I guess it was a, a Greek term, right? I guess that yes. they were, okay. Great question. That's the reason huh. why I love talking yeah. about this with someone, because anointed one, the word for anointed one in the Greek language is Christ. Mm-hmm. In the Hebrew language, it is Messiah. So Jewish believers in Israel today are not called Christians. Their language is Hebrew. They're called Messianics. Mm. But in Antioch, they were Greek speakers, and they see them, and they know the term for anointed one. They're following the Christ, and as a mocking term, they started calling these disciples Christians Mm. at Antioch. Then we see it later in the book of Acts with King Agrippa II. Are you so quickly, Paul, trying to convince me to be a Christian. Oh, he's saying that almost in a mocking sense. Yes, yes. Now, he's a Greek speaker. He's from the Herodian dynasty. They were very much Hellenistic. And by that time, the term Christian is being used more and more. And then Peter's going to use that term as well. Mm. He's probably writing from Rome as he's writing his two letters and talks about our reputation as Christians. So it's so interesting. The term Christianity is is become the 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 kind of the key word. That, you know, it's the umbrella for following Christ. But for the longest time, when the gospel was really spreading like wildfire, it wasn't even remotely connected to the actual message. So it's just interesting that now the message of Christianity is really I don't know. Just hearing this from you makes it seem like it goes so much further than just the label, because the label wasn't even there for, I guess, decades, right? Yes. Take, for example, the word disciple is used somewhere between 160 and 170 times in the New Covenant Scriptures. Mm -hmm. The word Christian is used three times. Huh. So the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And that word is going to grow as the gospel continues to go to the Greek-speaking world because Greek was the world language, similar to what English is today. It's the connecting language. As the gospel goes to the Hellenistic world, even though the Roman Empire is the world power, it has been Hellenized as well. And culture and language and Greek is the world language. The word Christian is going to build over time. But something coming back to our original focus here, Jews that believed in Jesus was believing in the Jewish Messiah, a Jewish gospel by Jewish apostles going out with the message that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, the one that has brought in this new covenant and the forgiveness of sins is in his name. He died for our sins. He has been raised for our justification. And now there is life in his name. And as the gospel is going forth and as it's going into the Hellenistic world, they started calling them Christians. A label that they created. They created, Mm -hmm. yes. And it's a good label. Mm -hmm. But a Jew that comes to faith in Yeshua is not leaving his Jewish faith. He's actually coming into what Jewish faith is all about through the Messiah. It's not through the rabbis that does not even exist in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Covenant. It's not about an oral law that does not exist in their own Old Covenant. It's about a new covenant that was promised to them through their Messiah. And now through the Jewish people, salvation is coming to the world. Oh, I love that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, now let's get back to Jacob is a Jew mm. that believes in the Jewish Messiah. 
And he's in Jerusalem ministering to Jewish people that believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Hmm. Now, I wanted you to open up to Acts chapter 8. And I want to read verses 1 through 4, maybe verse 5 as well. But can you read these verses? And this is from the English Standard Version. So this is picking up after Stephen was put to death. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Amen. Now read that last verse again. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And prior to that, the verse prior to that. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, let's stop right there. Prior to this time, prior to this persecution, the Jews were in Jerusalem. That was really the only place that they were congregating. That may not be correct because think about this. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there were Jews from all over the Roman Empire that had come in from Passover to Pentecost. 3,000 were saved on that day. Some of them could have gone back after that time to Rome. Rome was one of the places and places in the Middle East and North Africa. They were mentioned there that they came in and some of them could have gotten saved. And now there are believers throughout the Roman Empire. Mm. But the hub is the Jerusalem church. They're gathering there. And in the book of Acts, in one place, it says there's 5,000 men that had been saved. Now, in that culture, to be a man, you had to be at least 30 years of age. You couldn't even serve in the temple if you were a priest until you were 30 years of age. In one point in the Hebrew Scriptures, they lowered that to 20. But traditionally, from the law, it was 30 years of age. Then you had to be married and have children, in some cases, culturally, in order to be considered a man. So when it says 5,000 men had come to be saved and to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, you're looking at a huge congregation in Jerusalem. And they're growing. Priests are coming to the Lord. Daily people are being added to the faith. And Jerusalem is swelling with Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the religious structure is in trouble now. Because Mm -hmm. think about it. The Sanhedrin is the one that pronounced his judgment. Well, actually... Pontius Pilate did, but on their recommendation, they cry out, crucify him. The one that they just crucified, if he's the Messiah, if he died and he rose again, now the religious leaders in Jerusalem are looking at themselves and saying, hey, we're the ones that are responsible for this. We have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Every day, more people are naming the name of Yeshua in the city of Jerusalem. So there was a young man named Shaul. His name is Saul. Later, we're going to, his Roman Greek name is going to be Paul. He leads, we believe he's the leader or the instigator to bring about a persecution because when Stephen is killed, they lay his robe at the foot of Saul. And then he starts to ravage the church in Jerusalem. They're going in and they are, now how do they know where they are? Because remember, Where did they meet? Where did their gatherings take place? 
two, two places. I would assume maybe the synagogue, maybe okay. in the temple, maybe. I don't know. Temple. You got one of them. Okay. Probably in the outer courts of the temple every mm-hmm. day preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Not so much in a synagogue because in Jerusalem, the center of their worship was the temple. Okay. They, it says in the book of Acts, house to house. They were gathering every day in houses. So when the persecution began in Jerusalem, they would know where they're gathering. You could go into any part of Jerusalem, or they're meeting there. They're meeting in this house Mm. and that house. And it says that he was going house to house. And he was ravaging the church, putting people into prison. Now think about it for a moment. If you're about to be separated from your wife and your children, and they're going to take that from you as naturally... As a father or a mother, you're going to do everything to protect your family. And he's going after the family unit, Mm. and he's going after them. So they have to leave the city of Jerusalem. And something I want us to understand about the context, because all of this is about the context of Jacob here, that they're leaving the city of Jerusalem without anything. Mm. They're leaving their jobs, their security, their homes, their education, their status, everything, they are leaving, running for their lives to protect their families, and they're going to the region of Samaria and Judea. Hmm. Now, this is the context of Jacob here and his letter to the 12 tribes scattered abroad that's going through tribulation. Hmm. So he's not just writing to Jews around the world because the Jews have been scattered from the Babylonian exile Uh, scattered into Persia, back into Egypt during the time of Jeremiah, all these kind of things. He's writing to Jewish believers, brothers in the faith that are experiencing tribulations, Mm -hmm. and that happens after Acts chapter 8. So James, or Jacob, wrote his letter in this setting, in the setting of Christians, or I guess Messianic disciples, were being shoved out of the city, pushed out of the city, persecuted. People want to kill them. And now they're fleeing for their lives, trying to find a new home and have nothing with them. I guess what you're saying is that's the context. That's what's happening. The spirit behind it. Yes, because when we look at this letter that Jacob wrote, he's writing to Jews. Hmm. Okay. Probably the word Christian is not even being used Hmm. at this point. Could have been used, but it's something that's just maybe up in Antioch. He's writing to believers in Yeshua, Mm. Jewish believers in Yeshua. Stephen has been killed. Shaul Mm. is going and trying to lock them up and put them into prison. They're leaving everything and going through tribulation. One of Mm. the first things Jacob is going to say to them, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations. Mm. He's writing to a persecuted Jewish faith that's under attack, from the rabbinical system, from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem that's coming after them. I say rabbinical because Paul, Shaul, is from the Pharisaic movement. Hmm. So from the Sanhedrin, they're going to go after them. They're going after Jews that believe in Jesus that have been scattered abroad. After this persecution is the context culturally of what is happening. And Jacob, the leader in Jerusalem, is going to write to them. He's going to write to them and encourage them in their faith. Hmm. Cool. Does that need any more clarity? Oh, that's fantastic. That's cool. 
All right, we still focused here. <laughs> I think we. That's a cool. It's it's good to understand the setting of what we're coming into. I've traditionally just read this book, and I just read it for what it is, without fully understanding that he's writing to people that are going through some really tough times for something they believe in. Yes. Their faith is the most important thing to them. And what you read out of Acts chapter 8, and this is very important, I could spend an hour on this, is they went about preaching the Word of God. Mm -hmm. This was not the apostles. This was the Jewish believers. The apostles remained in Jerusalem. The best title for the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. That is a title that was given later. It is Mm -hmm. the Acts or the Works of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. More than the apostles is being used by God through this 30 to 35 years, ordinary men and women, just part of the congregation in Jerusalem, that are meeting house to house as they are leaving the city of Jerusalem. They're not going and saying, woe is me that I was ever born. They're going with their suitcases, with their families, and they went about preaching the word of God. They went to Judea and Samaria. Now, for me, I would have gone to Samaria Mm -hmm. because in Samaria, a good Jew doesn't even want to go through Samaria. It was a good (laughs) hiding place. But they went to Judea and Samaria. And this is part of the whole plan of God allowing this persecution to take place that gets them out of the city of Jerusalem. And now the gospel is spreading to Judea and Samaria. Now, think about what Jesus said to the 120 You stay here until you receive the promise of the Father. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria. Mm -hmm. So actually, the first part of this is being fulfilled through this persecution. Mm -hmm. So let's read some of this. And as we read the first chapter, when you know the historical background, I think it starts coming more alive to you. Again, to remind you, this is Jacob, the half-brother of Jesus, who becomes the leader in Jerusalem, an elder, a shepherd, a pastor over the believers in Jerusalem that is writing to scattered Jewish believers that have had to leave the city of Jerusalem that are under persecution. This is between 40 and 48 A.D., I also want to say about authorship that the early church fathers mention Jacob as the writer. And again, he is mentioned by Josephus, who is not a believer, about his presence and his good reputation in the city of Jerusalem. He is writing to these scattered Jewish believers that are under persecution. Keep that in mind. Let's look at verse 1. Jacob, a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. He's not just writing to Jews in general. Mm. He wants them to receive the gospel, yes, but as we go through the book, these are Jewish believers Mm. that he's writing to, brothers of the faith. Mm. But Jacob, a bondservant. Do you know what it meant from a Hebrew context, the term bondservant here? I'd I, I assume it's like some financial indebtedness, but I, I don't know exactly. What, what is it? Right. A bondservant is a little bit different than a, just a servant or a slave. Hmm. A bondservant is one that has been set free. However, in the law of Moses, 
if they have been set free, all of their debts have been paid, and they have the ability to have freedom, but if they choose to stay with their master and to stay with him, and they say, I do not want to have my freedom, I want to be under your authority, and I want to serve you, then they were considered a bondservant. And what is interesting to this is that according to the law, not only himself, his wife, his children, every possession that he owns, because from the heart he has chosen to follow his master, that everything that he owns now comes under the authority of his master for the rest of his life. Wow. To a Jewish person, when he says, Jacob, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is saying that everything that I have from everything within me, all of my heart, every possession that I have, my family, every gift that I have now belongs to God and to his Messiah, Yeshua. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. Because that's who we are as followers of Yeshua. Hmm. Yeah. It's not that we have to do it. We have the ability from the heart. God has changed us from the inside out. From the heart, I follow Yeshua the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. And everything that I own belongs to God. Yeah. From the heart. That's yeah. what it means to be a bond slave, a bond servant. That's incredible. It That's really so is. Cool. Now look who he's writing Such a to. Good picture. To the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes is the 12 tribes of Israel. It's an imagery. Even though the 10 tribes of northern Israel have been destroyed a long time ago, their mm -hmm. identities. In that destruction by the Assyrians, all 10 tribes fled down into Judah. Mm -hmm. Judah only had two identities, Judah and Benjamin. But in Judah became all the tribes of Israel during that time. Jerusalem swelled by 10 times its size. Oh, wow. Archaeology has confirmed that. This term Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel, even though their tribal identities are not there, it's a term for all of Israel. Mm -hmm. So he is writing to the 12 tribes who are dispersed or scattered abroad greetings. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's talking to Israelis. He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking to them that are not in Jerusalem where he is, but that are scattered. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 2, and this will bring up Acts chapter 8, very clear, I think. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect or complete, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. Praise I, God. I think it's amazing. He's saying consider it all joy, and he's explaining why, but it also seems very real to me because the suffering is real. He's not saying, oh, it is all joy. He's saying consider it all joy. You might be suffering. It might be difficult. And so it just feels like there's also concession for the, the human condition. There's good in this, but it's also tough, and right. I just, it just feels very human. Yes, and think about a, a shepherd. The word pastor actually means shepherd. That's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. An elder speaking to people that are being persecuted. There's probably about 100 million Christians around the world being severely persecuted today. 
Think about a shepherd writing to them and saying, hey, consider it all joy, <laughs> what you're going through. Yeah. We would look upon that as saying, oh, this person doesn't have much sympathy. This mm. person doesn't know how to relate to people that are going through difficult times. But Jacob is looking through God's eyes yeah. and understanding that God's in control. Yeah. And God has never stepped down from the throne. Yeah. And God is allowing this persecution to take place. And there are believers, Jewish believers, that are being persecuted all over the place at this time. His friends and his community of faith has been split apart, and many of them have left the city. And he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations. Because what is this going to do within your own life? Mm -hmm. See, when God allows persecution to take place, and this really goes against everything within what I call the hyper-faith movement, within the word of faith or the health and wealth and prosperity movement that came mm -hmm. up into the West that does not represent God's word. Mm -hmm. These people lost everything because of their faith. Mm -hmm. Everything. And now the pastor, or who becomes a pastor in Jerusalem, is saying, consider it all joy. Mm -hmm. Because of what it's going to do in their own lives personally, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We're not called to run a 100-meter sprint, but we are called to run the race to the end, and we have to have endurance. So when tribulation and trials come against my life, not because of my own evil deeds, but because of my faith in Christ, then this is going to produce endurance within our life, within our faith. Hey, we're here for the long term. We don't understand what is going on, but God's in control. Let's continue to pray and have faith and know that God is in control and God's going to bring us through this. This produces endurance. Mm -hmm. Can I give you some illustrations? Oh, yeah. Think, for example, during the former Soviet Union, almost all the pastors spent time in prison because of their faith. Wow. Their families were attacked. Sometimes their wives were taken to concentration camps, wow. never to see them again. One pastor that was a friend of my father's spent 27 years in prison. Oh and when the, when the Soviet Union was beginning to collapse, now remember this, Khrushchev said in the 1960s, one day in the Soviet Union, I will take a picture with the last Christian. And the only Bible that you will read will be in a museum. Whoa. This was the goal. They were atheistic. They were Marxists. They were socialists. Their goal was to eliminate all religion within the former Soviet Union. Now, the former Soviet Union is collapsing, and we're in the 1980s. And now they're becoming a little less strict because they see of what's taken place. They brought this one pastor who had gotten out of prison. Remember, he spent 27 years in prison for his faith. And they brought him before the judge, and the judge gave him a penalty of 100 rubles. And this pastor, who was leading a congregation, began to laugh at the judge. He said, you mean I spent 27 years in prison for my faith, and that's the best you can do is give me a 100 ruble fine for sharing my faith? This was a man that came through tribulation went through trials because of his faith 
and now you're just going to charge me with 100 rubles? Can't, can't you do a little bit better than that? <laughs> you know, is that all that my faith is going to be persecuted for? That man mm. went on to pastor a church that ran thousands wow. when the Soviet Union collapsed. Wow. You see, the testing of your faith will produce endurance as a person of faith stands strong. Mm. And as they continue down the road, then there's not anything that the world can throw against that individual. There's not anything Satan can bring against the followers of Jesus. When their faith has been tested and they've produced that endurance within their lives, they are ready for the challenge. It's almost like it sounds like it almost it changes your perspective because even that story about that pastor who's, who was in jail for so long, he no longer regarded the trials as being attacks on himself, but almost as opportunities for him to share his faith and to proclaim what's happened to him. Yes. So almost what would otherwise be in a negative light. You see the opportunity in that, and you, you actually allow that to give you endurance, to, to fuel you. Yes. One pastor spent 10 years in prison. Today, he pastors a group within that same prison wow. today. Wow. In fact, they tried to kill him. They removed all the furniture within his cell, filled it with water, let it ice over. It was in winter time. They took off all of his clothes, threw him into the cell. His, his body stuck to the ice. They came the next morning to take him and bury him, and he was still alive. It so scared them, they took him to the hospital. He lived through that. Today, he leads a congregation for prisoners within the same prison. In fact, they allowed him to build a building within inside of that prison so that they can congregate and meet together. Those type of individuals, now this is a Western idiom, will say, bring it on. You see, when they've gone through things like that, and then someone comes up and says, okay, I'm going to charge you 100 rubles for <laughs> sharing your faith. <laughs> say, that's the best you can do. <laughs> so that's the type of person that is produced. Mm. And Jacob recognizes this. This is God's doing. God is allowing it to take place. God's in control. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations. Yeah. But this testing of your faith is going to produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Now, the word perfect that you're going to see in the new covenant is a synonym for complete. Mm. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So Mm. the work that God wants to do within my life, that when I go through these trials that God allows me to go through, If I stand firm, then I'm going to be ready for any single challenge that is coming up, and God's going to use me to bring the gospel where He wants it to be brought. And you cannot have sissy believers and people that are so focused on themselves. And some of the congregations in the Western culture, and I'm speaking hopefully to people all around the world, where every song And every message is about them and about bettering themselves. And they've never gone through persecution. They've never gone through trials and tribulations. And their faith has never been tested. Mm. They're not ready for what's about to take place. Mm. And can you use that individual to go and take the gospel to Nepal? 
Mm-hmm. Or to go to the Central Asia republics? Or to go to the remotest part of the earth and to lay down their lives to bring the gospel? No, they'll be gone in one week. Mm-hmm. They won't be able to survive. This is why Western missions today is failing because a weak church is sending out weak individuals that do not know how to lay down their lives for the gospel. Mm. But God is allowing this early church to go through persecution, and the shepherd of that church is saying, wow, praise God, count it all joy, because once you come through this, you're going to be ready to do what God wants you to do within your own life. I love it. And, and, and his last phrase there, too, I think kind of strikes me interesting where he says, lacking in nothing. And he's talking to people who just lost everything. Yes. And he said, if you endure, you'll be perfect and you won't lack anything. He's not talking about the physical. It seems like he's not talking about the physical goods. He's kind of changing the perspective of your spirit. You're going to lack nothing in your spirit and, and, and almost changing the focus. I mean, when I look at my own self, when I go through trials and tribulations, things are really tough and, and God brings me through a difficult period. It's so easy for me to look at what I don't have or what's going on or the struggle, not recognizing what's happening inside of me. And that's really what God cares about because at the end of the day, everything else is going to fall away. And what lasts is is what God has worked in the spirit, in the soul. I just think it's cool that he's changing that perspective. It's like you will lack nothing. And he's saying that to people that lack everything. And so it's just a kind of a different ideology. It's very, very kind of touching what you're saying. It's cool. Yes, and it's very scriptural throughout the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. I think being here in the West, we've just got a custom that everything is about us and everything that God is just waiting to bless us and to bring prosperity and everything to our lives. I tell people when they say, don't you want to be blessed? I say, how can I ever be more blessed than I am right now in the Messiah? Mm-hmm. Please do not cheapen the word blessing. So you think that a bigger house or a bigger car or if I'm a minister and I have a jet or something like that, that I'm blessed and someone else is not blessed. You've cheapened the gospel. Mm -hmm. I am blessed. I do walk in God's blessing. I will never be more prosperous right now than I am in the Messiah. And I challenge people to read Isaiah 52 and 53 about what true prosperity is It is through the suffering servant that's going to lay down his life Mm -hmm. as a ransom. That's true prosperity. Read Psalm 118 about the prosperity of the Lord is going to be when the stone which the builders rejected becomes the chief cornerstone. And talking about the prosperity that will come, that we're talking about eternal prosperity, eternal blessing. All the other things are temporary. And they can be here today and gone tomorrow. But we have everlasting life in Jesus' name. I am blessed. I do prosper. I know what it means to live a life of fulfillment. So don't cheapen it with this prosperity junk that comes sometimes. And I feel like I need to say this. The prosperity that the Lord offers is so much more real because it's you, you see wealthy individuals out there that have terrible lives because they might look beautiful, they might go to the fanciest restaurants, they might enjoy themselves and distract themselves, but they, the inside, there's, there's, there's a lack of wholeness, there's a lack of peace, there's no calm, there's no, I guess you say shalom, 
and God provides a true healing, setting the captives free of our own prisons that we built up around us ourselves, the, the sin that we carry with us, all of the relationships we destroy. When he says you would lack nothing, what God does give you is the eternal. It's the soul. It's the wholesomeness that really matters to us, not necessarily the distractions or the temporary, how much do I have in my bank account? Or how's my house doing? Or am I physically under attack? But it's this, like you're saying, this eternal thing that will last forever of how is my soul and how I can find joy in the midst of anything. Yes, and that's true blessing. Yeah. And that's true prosperity. Yeah. And it all comes to the cross. Yeah. We see that when I was talking about Isaiah 52 and 53. When Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself, he's going back to that fourth Hebrew song of 52 and 53 of Isaiah, mm. talking about his death that is about to take place, where it says he will be high and he will prosper. And right after that, Yoni, it says he will be marred more than any other man. Mm. So... You're exactly right. I agree 100% with you. True prosperity and blessing comes through Jesus Christ, taking up our own cross, denying ourselves, and following Him. Now, I want to go to the next subject here. Now, most people read the letter of Jacob, and they think that he's changing subjects, and he's going from one thing to another that do not relate to each other. But when you understand the historical background... A Jewish man writing to Jewish believers that have been persecuted, that have lost everything. He tells them to count it all joy. But when you are being persecuted, there are real issues that you are facing every single day, sometimes with just survival. So what do you need? You need wisdom. And look at what he says in verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given unto him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Again, tough love, tough talk. If you lack wisdom, you need wisdom, and they all need it wisdom. Believe me, they need it wisdom of God. They need it the direction of God. They need it the direction of God's Spirit, what to do, where to go, how to minister the gospel in a persecuted context. He says, ask, and God will give it. But when you ask, don't just say the words. Believe it that God is on your side and God will answer you and God will give you direction and God is going to put you exactly where you need to be. But if you're just praying Mm. words and you do not have faith, do not think that God's going to answer you at all. You're a double-minded individual and you are unstable. A person that prays and just says the words and really doesn't have faith in God and doesn't really believe that God is in control and that God will give you wisdom is unstable Hmm. in everything that that person does. And if you disagree with me, just see what Jacob is saying here. (laughs) 
Well, it's, it's interesting he says that he's unstable and double-minded because it's, it's almost like this God that you are believing you've taken a stand for and that you have seen, you've seen to be real in your life, if you ask him something you don't think he's going to do it, you, you must not think, I guess, he loves you. You must not think that he's real. You must not think. And so there's all of these conflicting things. Because if God is real and he loves you, he will give you wisdom. I mean, you know, it, it's, just, it's just common sense. And so, anyways, it's interesting, I think, that he uses that word, double-minded. It's like, if you were single-minded, you would, you would take that to its end conclusion. God loves me. God is with me. I've seen it through my life. That's why I've fled Jerusalem and, and gone through this tribulation. So now I'm struggling. I need to look to God and trust that through his love for me, he's going to give me wisdom. Yes, and faith. Right? Yes, and faith. 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 Have you ever prayed a prayer and you prayed the prayer and you didn't have faith and you went out and did just the opposite? Mm. It was just words. It's almost as if a tradition builds up mm. that, okay, we have to pray. Let's pray. Before we started this podcast, we prayed. Yeah. Now, was it just words, or did we have faith that God was going to direct us? Amen. And sometimes we do it out of tradition, and it's a ritual, but God wants us to pray with faith. Mm-hmm. We need God's wisdom to do this podcast in the right way to minister to people. Now, we prayed. Did we have faith to believe that God would give us direction? You see, that brings it to ourselves. Mm. This is what he meant to them. And then when we understand that, now how does it apply to me today? Mm. Let's continue. I want to get through this first chapter. Mm. We'll probably only make it through the first chapter, and Yoni may not be here tomorrow. (laughs) But I at least want to make it through the first chapter. Now, let me ask the question before we go to verse 9. And remember, the chapter and the verse divisions are not here in the original. He is flowing, I believe, with one context, with different thoughts within that one context. He says, But the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position, and the rich man is the glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, And its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Hmm. It it seems to almost touch on that topic of you might not have anything, but if you endure, you will lack nothing. Like the the richness that you're getting is not this physical thing. There's a beauty in the other side of it. Yes, and let me read the next verse. Oh, okay. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Think about this. You've lost everything. Are you going to pursue money or are you going to pursue God? Hmm. And when we get to chapter 4, he's going to bring this in very clearly. The one that pursues money the one that pursues making a business without asking about the will of God, to that person, it is sin. Hmm. To a believer, we look at our lives. What is the pursuit of our lives? Is it money? Is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it material things? Or is it God? Hmm. And he's talking to people that lost everything. Hmm. So which direction do you want to go? The wealthy man will be humbled one day. 
But God will lift up those who have lost everything for the sake of the gospel. He will Mm. raise them up. But what will be our pursuit to things that will fade away someday? Or are we going to trust God and believe that God will provide all of our needs? Think about what Jesus said. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's talking about clothing and shelter and food. He's not talking about Cadillacs and mansions. Mm -hmm. But the necessities of life, the needs that we have, God knows how to take care of us. Mm. What are we going to pursue? Mm -hmm. I want to say this as well, Yoni. The number one subject that Jesus taught about was the kingdom of God. The number two subject is you cannot serve God and money at Mm -hmm. the same time. You've got to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Think about Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. Jesus made him make a choice to come to a point of decision. What is going to be the focus of your life? Mm -hmm. He told him, give everything that you have, every possession, which represented his status Mm -hmm. in society. Give it to the poor. Give it away. Come and follow me. And he could not do that. Mm -hmm. So this is so important of what Jacob is saying to these persecuted believers, Jewish Mm. believers. Don't put your focus on money, but blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. You might Mm. have lost everything, but God is with you. And if God is for you, Paul is going to say in his letter to the Romans, if God is for you, who can be against you? Mm. Now, when he writes that, believers are being put to death. Mm -hmm. Think about that contextually. Yeah. The hyper-faith individual, the prosperity teacher, says that if God is for you, who can be against you? So God's going to give you what you want. Mm. In that whole context of Romans chapter 8, he's speaking to people. Some of them are being put to death. In mm-hmm. fact, Paul even says, all day long we are being put to death like lambs that are led to the slaughter. Mm. So everything that Jacob is saying is lining up with the Old Covenant. Everything that he is saying is lining up with what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying. There is continuity and thought and theology all the way through God's Word. Hmm. Amen? Yeah, and and it seems like to have this attitude in the midst of a difficult situation where, you know, you have a daughter that's suffering now and maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know how it was back then. Maybe they need medicine and you can't afford it and your wife is worried or maybe you're split, your, your, your spouse is split from you. And it's these genuinely difficult situations to be able to have a, a perspective like this. I feel like it requires Yeshua or Jesus to be real. Yes. There's no other way. A real relationship. Yeah. A and real with, faith. Actually, actually with God. With God. Yeah. Through the Messiah. Yeah. And a, a understanding that the only thing that is important, first and foremost, is that we follow the Messiah, yeah. the only way to the Father. And everything else is secondary. And, and it's incredible, too, because you think about that in your own life. And, and, and it, you know, as, at, for myself as a Christian, having gone through my own trials, it's, 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 it's been a struggle and it's been a growth period and a, and a stretching. And, and many times I, I've had to come back to God and ask God for encouragement and try to, to grow and, and, and seek out what God has for me in that moment. But the, the fact that this is what happened in this context and Jacob's advice is so counter-instinctual 
yet the church still grew through this period. It exploded. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I mean, if, if there weren't enough real motivation for this, I mean, it would have died. Yes. It's incredible. Yes, and think, <laughs> think about the 12 apostles. There are more than 12 mentioned in the book of Acts as apostles and apostolic ministry. All of them historically were murdered for their faith except Johanna and John. Wow. This was a part of who we are. Yeah. It's not what some people over in another land go through. It's who we are as believers, as followers yeah. of Yeshua. If he took up the cross, hmm. then we must do that daily as well. Hmm. Now, praise God, we do not live in a land. We're kind of unique that we grew up in a land that had religious freedom. Yeah. Freedom of worship, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. And we have not gone through the persecution that many believers around the world have yeah. gone through. But believe me, it is coming. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe it's coming, you're going to get completely caught off guard. Yeah. It doesn't, I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying look at what's taking place all around you today within the Western culture that has become pantheistic. Everything is accepted in our society mm -hmm. except a person that says there's only one God, one salvation, one way, and that is through Jesus the Messiah. Mm -hmm. It's become that an person, offensive message nowadays. It's very offensive, but the gospel is offensive. Mm. And we're trying in the Western culture not to make it offensive. We're trying to cater towards the post-millennials and not to be offensive. But actually what it is is that the philosophy of pantheism, all roads lead to God, mm. has started to come within the church today. Yeah. But let's not get off on that rabbit trail, but it's a, it's a good point. Now let's yeah. continue here. On, I think, a singular context that is flowing. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for mm -hmm. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the mm. exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruit among His creatures. Mm. So the natural thing that happens to some believers when they've gone through persecution, they've lost everything, they're running for their lives, is to start blaming God. Mm. Well, God tempted me to do sin. God tempted me to do evil. God is holy. God cannot be tempted, and He doesn't tempt anyone. Mm. God can allow us into a situation that we're going through, but if we look at what Jacob is saying, this is actually for our good. Mm. But some people that cannot stand strong during that time of trial will begin to start blaming God. Yeah. And what Jacob is saying and what the Word of God is saying, do not blame God for your own sin. So if you back down and you go a different direction and you start sinning and you start doing your own will and you walk away from the will of God and all of these kind of things, don't blame it on God. Every good gift that we have within our lives comes from God. Mm. 
And we need to start giving him thanks and praising God and recognizing that God is in control. Mm-hmm. So I lost my house. Am I going to use that as an excuse to go a different direction? In the letter that was written to the Hebrews, some of them have had their properties confiscated. They lost their homes and their properties. Hmm. Are they going to turn away and go back into the old covenant? That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, written to Jewish believers, and have Hmm. their identity through the old covenant so that they can keep their homes and their properties or are they going to stay true to the new covenant? And once the new has come, you cannot go back to the old. Yeah. And that would be sin. Hmm. So some people want to blame God instead of giving thanks to God and saying, God, thank you for bringing us out of that persecution. Thank you that we have safety where we are right now. Use us for your glory. Some of them are possibly saying, God, you did this. You're tempting us. You brought us through this, and this is the reason why we're going back on our faith and sinning against you. And mm. Jacob is saying, do not do that. You cannot mm. do that. Every good gift in your life comes from the Father above. Give mm. thanks to God. Yeah. Any thoughts about that? Oh, Maybe. yeah. No, I think it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, I mean, that, that clarification, is, I feel like it's very encouraging to, to remember, even in the midst of a very hard situation, whatever it might be, that it is the nature of God, it is what He does to, to give good gifts, perfect gifts. He doesn't give evil gifts. And, and kind of comparing that to the earlier section that we were talking about, you know, these guys have lost things, but he, he says, count it all joy because you're getting a spiritual gift, if you will, where you're going to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so really understanding in the midst of these difficult situations, it is the nature of God to do good and perfect things. You know, I, I remember I, when I went through a really uh, tough period in my life, I was, I was kind of angry at God. And I, and I came to this verse where Jesus had talked to the disciples in John. I think it was in John. And he says, you know, do you want to leave me too? And, he said, and the disciples say, where else would we go? Yes. We've come to find out that you are mm. the, the, the son of God and you have the words of eternal life. And I, I myself came to that place, um, but it was in a moment where I was wondering, I was going through a tough thing, and it felt like God had led me into it, and I kind of blamed God, because um, at any moment, He could have stopped it, but He didn't. I was like, God, do you even, my prayer, I was crying, and I was like, God, do you even care if I'm happy? Do you even, are you even, does it even make you happy that I do something that I love? And, and, and it was interesting, because it, it was in that moment that I realized that the love of a father is such a good picture of God's love for us. And just kind of like this is saying, you know, it, every, from the father of life, he's, he's, he, every good thing comes from him. He wants good things for us. Sometimes we might not understand what that looks like. Sometimes we might not see how those pieces fit, but, th- but there's good in it. And it's not, it's not the bad. He is a God who takes joy in blessing us and, and joy in, 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 in showing us things, even though we might not understand what that looks like yet. So anyways, that speaks to me a lot. Yes. And you, as you were talking about that John chapter 6, it's probably, to me, the greatest confession of faith in mm. the New Covenant. Mm. Because Peter did not have any idea of what Jesus was talking about. Yeah. And it says in that John chapter 6, after he began to say, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, that many of his disciples did not follow him anymore. 
So he turns to the 12 who do not have any idea of what he's talking about. A lot of what Jesus talked about, they did not even understand until after his death and resurrection. He says, where to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God or the Holy One of Israel. I cannot remember exactly Mm -hmm. the, the, the quote, but what he is saying is that we don't have anywhere else to go. We may not understand, but you're everything, yeah. and we're not going to leave you. To me, in the New Covenant, that's the greatest confession of faith that I know of right there in John chapter 6. In the Old Covenant, it is uh, the three Hebrew young men hmm. when they wouldn't bow down, and they tell Nebuchadnezzar, think their names were Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh. But they're Hebrew names. They wouldn't bow down. And they say, God will deliver us from your hand, Nebuchadnezzar. However, if he does not, we will never bow down. Wow. You see, it's an unconditional faith. In both of those situations, their unconditional faith is not based upon me getting an answer to my prayer. Yeah. I know who you are. I don't understand, Jesus, what it means to eat your flesh and to drink your blood. We don't do that as Mm -hmm. Jews. Mm -hmm. But he was talking not about a literal flesh, but he's talking about the spirit. He didn't completely understand, but he knew who Jesus was. In Daniel, they didn't know. They believed that God would deliver them. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. We know who God is, and we know that our hands are in our lives are in God's hands. And this is what true faith is. Yeah. And these individuals had to know what true faith was all about. Hmm. And I'm concerned in the Western culture that we don't understand what true faith is all about. Hmm. Now, another thing that I want to look at, in, and you brought up about the, on the positive side, there's hmm. a progression hmm. that when we go through trials, that produces endurance. Yeah. And when... And then it produces an individual at the end that is ready for everything, that stands perfect and complete for the work of God. In the negative sense, there is a progression as well. Hmm. So as you look at what Jacob is saying, if you start to blame God, don't blame God and say that he tempted you, but blame yourself. You're carried away by your own lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You Uh have to look with inside of yourself. What was wrong inside of yourself? Maybe Mm. materialism was stronger in your life than your faith. You see, you got carried away by your own lust. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth death. And when it runs its course... You see the destruction of sin hmm. in your life. So on the positive side and on the negative side, the issue is how do I respond to the trial? Yeah. How do I respond? By giving praise to God and thanks to God and saying, God, here is my life. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and shape me and use me for your glory. Or are you going to get like Jeremiah was at different stages within his life? Woe is me. God, you're unfaithful. Hmm. And you see the rebuke of God against Jeremiah because he was in a very dangerous situation. Hmm. So both in the positive side, there is a progression that God does something within our lives. 
And on the negative side, we just don't pick up one day and decide to walk away from God. Hmm. There is a progression that takes place that we get carried away by our own lusts, and that gets conceived, and, mm. and sin gets fully accomplished, and it brings forth death, where that person then is in a position he doesn't even care about God anymore. Mm. But it was his fault, his lust. He went away from the truth, and he cannot blame God for that. This is what Jacob is saying. You know, it's so cool now that you've kind of put it together. I see myself in so much of this because through my own trials, I haven't always counted it as as, as all joy. I've, I've, I've sometimes I've seen the joy, you know, through it. And I've seen the beauty through it, but, but many times I struggle with that. And so then I feel like I fall down to that next section, if any of you lacks wisdom. I didn't have the wisdom to really understand what the beauty and what I was going through. And so it's like, ask God and don't think he's not going to do it. You know? and, and then even in my own struggles, I've seen myself too on, on, occasionally on the, on the other side, where I, I, I let my, my, my temptation be an opportunity for me to fall into sins and whatever it is. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what you're saying too. It's just, just it's kind of gripping me because it's like, like, don't deceive yourself. You're falling into these sins because of your own lusts. And if you let it run its course, it will kill you. Yes, very much. It will. And that's the Word of God. Yeah. And it is basic biblical teaching to understand yeah. that. And do not, we should not play games with God yeah. at any point. Uh, because if we start blaming God and playing games with God and and our, our faith is not the most important thing within our lives to follow Christ, to follow the Messiah, there will be a great fall that takes place. Hmm. And that is sound all the way through the Word of God. Wow. Now, I want to move on to the rest and end this chapter 1, going with this same context and try to read it and understand it from its historical background. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let me read that again. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Mm. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was." But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now think about the historical context. That once you've lost everything, there's an anger that builds up. And anger sometimes creates a quick tongue. Mm. That you start lashing out to individuals. I think mm. as a father, that when I have a lot of pressure on me, yeah. I think about how quickly I lash out at my children. Just the, the simplest thing, I can be more harsh mm. than if I'm relaxed and I have peace in my heart. Mm. And I believe this is what is being addressed here. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. 
when we're in tense times, and I go back to that illustration as a father, when I'm under stress and it's tense, it's best that I not discipline my children at that time. Hmm. Because I can do it so more, so much clearer, more clear when I'm thinking in the right way, when I've calmed down, when I haven't just let my words flow out so quickly. Mm. Same thing for a persecuted church. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, because this tongue will get us in a lot of trouble, and he's going to deal with this quite a bit, quite a bit in this letter. That's fascinating. And so stop speaking. Just shut it down. Quick to hear, slow to speak, because the anger of man will not produce the things of God. Let me read that. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So it's time for the body of believers, Jacob is saying, just settle down, quit your lashing out, Understand that the anger of man will not achieve the righteousness of God. Just start listening. Hmm. This is going to flow into putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. But walk a life of humility. Prove yourselves doers of the word, not just hearers. For anyone who just hears the word and not a doer is like a person that just looks in the mirror. Think about when you were a teenager, when you were getting ready for school. Hmm. You go to the mirror, you comb your hair, you make sure everything's perfect, and you leave, and in two minutes, what are you doing? You're going right back to the mirror, Mm -hmm. combing your hair again. And as a teenager, hopefully not the guys, but the girls, (laughs) but today it's both the guys and the girls, they're going back, and they keep going back. Did you forget what you looked like? Why do you have to keep going back and forth? This is what happens to us spiritually sometimes when we're not doers of the word. We keep going back and looking. We forget who we are. We forget our focus and what's going on in our lives, and we're going back and forth. We become unstable in our lives. But if we're doers of the word, we know who we are. We have the law of liberty, a freedom from God to follow God, and we become effectual doers and not forgetful hearers, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, he might be living on the street. Think about that. (laughs) He might not have a physical structure in which he's living underneath, but he's focused on God. He's controlling his tongue. He's listening. He's not blaming God. He's asking God for wisdom. He's understanding that this is the plan of God, that every good gift that is in his life comes from God. He's not just hearing it. He's doing it. And there's a law of liberty that is living within inside of him. Freedom. I have the freedom to live for God. I am being blessed in everything that I do. God can use that individual. Mm-hmm. Does it become clear oh, yeah. as we go through? Oh, yeah. It's, it's awesome. And the, the idea, too, if, if you're a hearer, not a doer, it's just like it almost feels like you looked at yourself in the mirror, if you will, and you're like, oh, man, I look terrible, but then I do nothing about it. <laughs> yes. And I forget about it. I'm just like, okay. You know? I mean, I guess maybe my analogy in faith is like God saved my soul I, I was, I was, when, I was, when, when I first really 
got to see Jesus and God as who who He really is, my life was renewed. I realized there was a there was there was freedom. Uh, all of the things I pursued that were garbage, God, God clarified, and I realized that I can have life and hope. And if I don't live like that's true, then it's like looking at God. It's like looking at myself in a mirror and being like, "Oh yeah, like I just saw what is true, and I'm forgetting about it. Yes. I'm not doing anything because of it." This yes. is cool. And yeah. what's, what's incredible here is the law of liberty is the ability to follow the will of God. Hmm. See, sometimes we describe the freedom and the liberty that we have through the Messiah to go and live anywhere, any way that we want to. What mm. does Paul say? Paul says, may it never be. Don't even think in that way. But the law of liberty is that I have the liberty and I have the freedom to be an effectual doer mm. of God's Word, to be used by God. I have the liberty to have a life of significance, mm. not a life of waste. Yeah. Because the one that's going to blame God and pursue money, his life is over with. Yeah. His life doesn't have any value. But I have the law of liberty that yeah. I'm not blaming God. I'm trusting God. I have faith in God. I'm going to pursue God with everything mm. within me. And I have the law of liberty, and I can be an effectual doer and not just someone that hears the Word of God. Hmm. It, it, what you just said reminds me of what we just read, I guess in verse 12. Uh, Blessed man who perseveres in a trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which Amen. the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Amen. It's all, everything about life is following this glorious gospel that God has given to us. Mm-hmm. And everything else doesn't have value. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Not in an eternal context. Yeah, It really doesn't. Now, we're going to end with these last two statements that is so relevant from people coming from a Jewish background. Mm -hmm. The word religious has images, even today in modern-day Israel. What does it mean? Am I religious or am I secular? You know, that's uh, Jerusalem's religious and Tel Aviv is secular. So Mm -hmm. this word religious... You know, the religious, the pious ones want to be understood as religious. And religion in itself is not a bad word. You know, normally we say, I don't want religion, I hate mm-hmm. religion, um, but I want true faith. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a good statement. But words are defined by the way that they're used in the context. And here, the word religion or religious is not a bad word mm-hmm. here. And let's look at it, but he's going to define what is true religion. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his own tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So these believers coming through that persecution, if you can't bridle your tongue and there's anger and you're lashing out to people, you're bringing factions and destruction... Your religion is worthless. And maybe even more subtle, that when you were talking about that, made me think about my ride, my, my, my drive over here, and my wife and I were in you know, a stress, stressful moment. There's a lot of things going on, and we were both really nippy at each other. But I feel like that's almost the same thing, where you're not being patient. I'm not being quick to he- listen and slow to speak. And so, so anyways, yeah, I feel like yes. it's very applicable. Yes, very much. And uh, it happens to all of us um, all the time. Yeah. That we have to think about this and not just hear it, but say, oh, 
I need to just stop speaking. Yeah. Bridle my tongue. Yeah. We're going to get to that in chapter three. The tongue is a fire. Yeah. And there must have been a lot of tongue lashing, <laughs> lashing. Sorry. How can I say this where people would understand? A lot of verbal abuse mm-hmm. that was going on within the body. Mm-hmm. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphan and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Wow. What Jacob is saying to this persecuted Jewish congregation of believers, assembly, he said, you want to know what it means to have true religion, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and our Father. It's not about you. It's not about what you have lost. It's not about what you're going through. But get busy and visit the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep yourself unstained by this world. Separate your life for the glory of God. Be about God's business. Now, when you see the widows and the orphans, this is the heart of God. If you go back into the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures, God is the one that that defends the defenseless. He's the one that stands up for the widows and for the orphans. And when the people would not do this, he says to the people, I hate your assemblies. Mm. I hate your Shabbats, your Sabbath. I hate your feasts. I hate your new moons. I hate your sacrifices. Mm. Because if you're going to go through all the religious structure that is there and then go out and take advantage of widows and orphans in their distress you don't have any religion that has value to me. Mm. God is the one that defends the defenseless. And in man's culture, we have a culture, we take advantage of the person that is weak and the person that is down. Mm -hmm. But God is always standing up for that individual. And if you want to have a pure and undefiled religion, quit thinking about yourself and how you can better yourself and put your eyes on a world of people that are less fortunate than yourself, that are desperate in need, and say, today I want to do something for them. That's what God is interested in. And keep yourself away from the world. Think about what John says. Do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. And if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Do not pursue money. Don't pursue Hollywood, Bollywood, Tollywood. Mm -hmm. Don't pursue what they're going after, but pursue God with everything within your heart, everything within your life. And you'll find out what true and pure religion is in the sight of our God. That's awesome. Amen. (laughs) Amen. We, We need to stop there. I don't know, Yoni, we probably have gone an hour and a half. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it. But let's end with a word of prayer. And we'll pick up in chapter 2. I hope you can be here for chapter 2, but you may not be able to be here. But thank you so much for Mm -hmm. being here for chapter 1. And thank you for the opportunity. It's it's been a pleasure. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this time together. Lord, even in times in which we struggle to communicate what you are saying, I pray that the essence of what you were saying through Jacob to the Jewish believers will take root in our hearts today. And Lord, keep us focused on you. Break us of everything that binds us, God, except that which binds us to you. And keep us going in the right path 
And we have faith, God, that you're going to give us wisdom and give us direction by the power of your Spirit that lives within us. And Heavenly Father, may we not just hear the Word, go to a church every week and hear a topical sermon and just hear it, but God, let us hear your Word and let us be doers of your Word. Let us have the law of liberty living with inside of us that we can be effectual doers for your kingdom. God, teach us this. Place us there. Keep us there. And let your will be done within our lives. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.